Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Be Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. They say it takes a village to raise a child. And while we know that is so true, what we find out often when we become a mother is that we also need a village to nurture, nourish, and support us. Research shows a mother's transition into motherhood, being birth and early postpartum, are linked to emotional well-being, not only short-term, but long-term. And one of the main risk factors is social isolation, loneliness, and low social support. Today, I am chatting to Emma Gray, a working mom of two, host of the Nurtured Village podcast and the face behind the newfound charity, the Nurtured Village Hampers, where every month Nurtured Village communities around Australia collect a car bootload full of donations such as home-cooked meals, store-bought foods, small gifts and essentials to deliver to a mum in an effort to bring back that traditional village of support to reduce social isolation and advocate for maternal mental health. Remember, your impact can never be too small in those early days. And Emma is here today to share her story, her why, and efforts to bring back that village we all so desire. Emma, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you so much. What a beautiful intro. Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I wanted to ask because we've known each other for a little while, and I was on your podcast in the early, early days, which I'm always so grateful for. And sometimes I go back and listen to it because it's like... I like to sort of see how far I'd come from that point. So it's been pretty magical if I'm honest, but I wanted to know a little bit more about you and your story Mm -hmm. and what brought you here. So how was your entry into motherhood? Oh, well, my entry into motherhood was exactly how you think motherhood is going to be. Like how you see in the movies and the magazines and what you see on social media. Um, That was your entry. Wow. I I was on, I was like oxytocin bubble, like on cloud nine. I had a relatively uncomplicated pregnancy. I had, you know, some pubic symphysis pain and some sciatica and I have, I had an irritable uterus and stuff like that. But overall my pregnancy was simple and wonderful and we were excited and I was so maternal um, as a child and growing up, I knew I always wanted to be a mum, and I just felt like I was in my zone. Like I was like, this is my thing. I felt so comfortable in my ability. I never, ever questioned my ability to be a newborn mum. Like I was just like, this is my thing. Um, so two days short of 38 weeks, I went into spontaneous labor and, you know, had the whole, like, we had a really busy day. We went for a walk in the morning, went for a swim in the afternoon, went out for lunch, like, was walking up the stairs and um, my waters broke 
like in the shower, like my waters are breaking, like this is amazing. And we didn't know if the baby was going to be a boy or a girl. And um, after a 16 hour labor, I birthed our baby on the floor of the shower at the Mater Mothers in Brisbane. Um, initially we had a small complication where she didn't actually breathe straight away so she was whisked over and we had an emergency call made and after nine minutes she cried for the first time but I was in such an oxytocin bubble that something in me was just so calm like I knew that she would breathe I knew everything was going to be right Um, I was sitting I don't know why I knew that like call it mother's intuition call it just some stupid you know really adrenaline pumping oxytocin high from just giving birth to a baby Um, but I was sitting in a pool of blood on my own in the bottom of the shower and um, I was just so calm and I looked at my birth photographer who mouthed to me it's a girl Um, and I remember vividly we went back up to the ward and they wanted me to stay in overnight and um, I went to the toilet at one point and she was sound asleep and I came back out and she was still you know sound asleep in her little plastic bassinet that they use in the hospitals and she was there waiting for me and I, I walked out and I was like she's mine like she's not going anywhere and I was like this is just I instantly fell in love in that moment I cried tears because I was like this is my baby and she's not going anywhere I almost feel like I'm going to cry again like what is wrong with me <laughs> Um, and that morning we named her Mabel and, um, yeah, it was just every day was just, you know, hard, like postpartum is hard, but overall it was just really, really magical. Wow. Yeah. And so you'd waited a little while before you had another baby. Mm-hmm. How was that transition going from one to two? Like that was the moment that I realized the reality of motherhood. So Mm. I had an overall really beautiful pregnancy birthing fourth trimester. When our daughter was 12 months old, we were like, this is easy. Like, we're just going to go again. Like we, you know, there was two adults, one baby. Um, We lived in a small unit, like, you know, sure. She had her challenges and she was a, you know, she was a 12 month old and, um, but overall we'd had a really wonderful first year together and we were like, let's just, you know, rip the bandaid off and where there's going to go, like go again. Um, and yeah, I fell pregnant, um, first, like straight away. And there's something to be said about that as well, because that shock of like, yes, let's have a baby. And then two weeks later you're pregnant. Um, you know, I'm really, really grateful for, falling pregnant so quickly the second time the first time around took us about five months and that was difficult and those five months felt like they went forever um but we fell pregnant straight away and um again I had an irritable uterus and um but again a a relatively uncomplicated pregnancy um so at 39 weeks and five days I, it was four o'clock in the morning and I'd started going to labor and I knew it was labor and it all was just coming flooding back to me. And, um, my husband said, you need to wait out, um, for childcare to open so we can, we have no support in Brisbane. So we need to drop our daughter off at daycare at seven. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to make it like this baby is coming. So I got one of my beautiful girlfriends to, um, drive across the other side of Brisbane and she picked up her daughter and she, um, got there at 6.45 and I, um, got to the hospital and 45 minutes later he was born um so in what they call a 45 minute labor um 
he yeah, came bounding into the world. We didn't know if he was a boy or a girl. Um, and we found this beautiful little boy in our arms in exactly the same shower floor at the Martyr Mother's Hospital, exactly the same shower. Um, and I was discharged from birth suite at 12 o'clock that day. And I came wow. home and on the way home, we got a sandwich from the bakery and we sat at home with our five hour old baby. And at, um, that afternoon, my husband went and picked up my daughter from, from daycare, who was about 21 months old at the time. And, um, I remember that night I had an 11 hour old baby in my arms who was screaming and a 21 month old baby in the bath who was screaming and the reality of what we had just stepped into just hit me and honestly they haven't stopped crying or snot pouring out of their nose or some sort of poo event um, in the two years <laughs> since. It has just been an absolute blur of just crying, screaming, snotty chaos mm. um, and I, yeah, I honestly don't think that I really knew that the true reality of, you know, that overwhelm and that, um, you know, identity loss and that resentment and all of that stuff until I did become a mum of two. That's really interesting, hey. I've had a lot of conversations with girlfriends over the years about, you know, going from like zero to one to one to two, two to mm. three sort of thing. And, you know, sort of we're all comparing what we found more difficult. And, of course, that's subjective because we all have totally different bodies and experiences. Yeah. Um, but I find it so fascinating that becoming a mother that first time just felt like such a, a beautiful and natural transition for you. Mm. And like you were saying, you just had the best first year with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, bringing on another one, thinking it would just be the same, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe times two though. Yeah. Um, but it just being a totally different kind of force (laughs) in a sense, like, yeah, it's really interesting because I found it harder going from zero to one than one to two. Yeah. So I I always find it interesting to see, yeah, where other people sit with that. Yeah. Like you said, it's just, it's so different. And I think, Mm. A lot of it was the fact that, yeah, we did have a 21-month-old and she was quite an easy 12-month-old, but she has not been an easy toddler. But then we had yep. a really difficult, unsettled, colicky baby who had pretty much cried from the night that he came out of the oh. hospital to he still cries a lot now. So it's just been, you know, unfortunate timing, circumstances. Some people have their harder baby first, you know. It's just yeah. that what life throws at you and you've just got to try and you know work out work out the in-between so when you say he's colicky I've really wanted to talk to someone with a colicky mm. baby before because I have heard stories about colicky babies yeah. um, and I understand what a crying baby does to a mum mm-hmm. right like you get tense and you you have that urge to pick them up and soothe and settle and all that sort of thing but to then not be able to soothe or settle, mm-hmm. how did you cope with that? He, so in my experience, and I've, I've read lots of different stories and I think there needs to be more out there because that, that colicky baby moment, that hard baby stuff mm-hmm. is so isolating because yeah. especially like 
my colicky baby didn't really like being settled by my husband. And you hear this all the time. My my first baby didn't really like being settled by my husband, whether it's like you know, people say it's a scent thing or it's a, you know, whatever it is. But my babies didn't like going to my husband. So most of the time I was the one that had to settle them. So mm. it's really, really isolating to have a baby. For me, it wasn't like hours and hours on end of crying. It was just like a diffuse all day unsettled crying cranky like sleep for 10 minutes wake up unsettled grumpy like you know that newborn like squirming in their belly and their knees coming Mm. up um and it was that need to be on me like 24 hours a day for the next two years um and it was that he like he didn't really laugh very much he didn't smile that much like he was just Mm. a genuinely unhappy grumpy baby and I didn't so much have that like purple crying that crying for hours and hours on end it was just like the monotony of the crying every day it was like we didn't have good days and bad days it was like every day it was just like a grumpy unsettled baby who just wanted to be on me Um, and that just Mm. wore me down and you go I've seen some health professionals and I took him to people um, to try and get him like assessed um, and everyone would just say, take him out in the sunshine or pop him in a, in a shower. Water's amazing. You know, they love being outside and watching the trees and all that. And I'm like, I can't do that 24 hours a day with a baby. No. Like, I have a 21-month-old as well. I can't be just standing in the shower, like, with this baby trying to calm him down. You know, that's fine for, like, five or ten minutes of the day, but I can't be doing this every day, you know. So mm. I never ever got to a point where somebody like actually saw me and gave me anything that was like worthwhile way of coping with it um I remember we were going to like a mother and baby unit which was like an assessment unit for the baby to look at the baby's behavior and and look at you know what it was doing when it was when he was sleeping or when he was awake and what kind of behaviors and, and what kind of you know symptoms or you know assessment of him and as we were driving in there my husband had taken the day off and this was kind of like we just need to get to this point and then we're going to get some answers and on the way in there they called me and they said do you have any COVID symptoms and I said if I'm really honest I have a sore throat and they cancelled the the assessment and as we were driving back we were like we have nothing like we have nothing that is going to give us any answers or any solutions to this like absolute monotony that is like bringing this child and raising this child into the world and Mm. every two hours he would wake up and he just wanted to be in our bed and and I look back now and I think you know part of it is just his personality like that is just who he is as a child and he he wants to be near me and on me and he wants to sleep with me and he wanted to sleep with me from the night that he came out and that's Mm. really really normal but it's really really freaking hard Oh yeah. yeah, definitely. I um, I just think you know some of the things you were saying brings me back to some of the difficult days I had when my kids were a lot younger, so infants, and I remember you know like this one particular really long night. And my second born was just really unsettled and not happy. And she was the opposite. She wanted my husband. She didn't want me. So that's a whole different ball game mm-hmm. of like feeling rejected yeah. and you know, all that sort of stuff. But um, like he could finally settle her. But just that 
I don't know. I feel like as a mother, the crying baby, like that does stuff to you. Yeah, sure. Like whether or not you you can settle them and all that, but just the crying baby and for a long period of time. So I can just not imagine living through that and maybe still living through that, you know, so many years later. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I take my hat off to these mums because that is just certainly something we're, like you were saying, we, we don't talk about enough. But I also find what's interesting is that when we have health professionals looking at these colicky babies or whatever, um, is the mother's mental health or health, physical health or needs ever addressed in those settings or appointments? Yeah. Was that ever done for you? Not in my experience, no. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting, hey? Yeah. Yeah. I did want to ask you, though, after all of that, mm-hmm. what shocked you the most about life after baby? Um, so many things. How do I pick one? Um, <laughs> definitely the identity loss. Just the scale of all of it, like the scale of the impact of it has definitely been shocking for me. Before I became a parent, I thought other parents just like overcomplicated it. And I was really just like, you stress about stuff that doesn't matter. Like kids don't (laughs) need that much. They're really resilient. Like I thought that parents bought way too much stuff. Like you don't need all that stuff. They just need a bassinet and some clothes. And, um, you know, I was was really just like, you guys just stress about too much. I'm just going to keep it really, really simple. And um, I've got this. I remember a midwife asking me when I was pregnant with my daughter, what support system do you have in Brisbane? And I was like, oh, you know, like lots of my friends are in a similar life stage. So we're going to be a support for one another. Like little did I know, like just the sheer scale of the impact that it would have on like every single facet of my life. Mm. Um, And like I mentioned with my daughter, I, I was in such a beautiful like oxytocin cloud nine you know wonderful stage of my life that I dive so deep into motherhood that my entire world was my baby um I've told this story on my podcast on our podcast before but the first time I went for a walk outside with her I felt like I was walking on the moon like my legs were taking like these really big like long steps and and I felt like I was like kind of trying to walk normally but they were just taking a long time to like make contact with the ground and it felt really strange like that's how misplaced I felt when I was physically away from her. Like my entire focus was on my baby. Um, And I lost myself so much and like my needs and who I was as an individual away from motherhood that then these themes like resentment and all of these kind of, you know, anger and these themes started coming up around like I have all of these needs, but none of them can be met. And that, they weren't you know excessive needs they were just like self-care like basic human self-care needs that I was like you know my husband came home from one day from work and he was like I listened to a podcast today and I was like oh a podcast that must be wonderful like imagine listening to a podcast you know and I'm like I'd lost myself so much and and was giving myself so much to to my children or to my child at that time that there was nothing left for me and um, I as an individual really struggle with boundaries and I haven't been taught boundaries as a human outside of motherhood um so Mm. I've had to learn really hard and fast lessons around like I need to set boundaries as a mother and as an individual to make sure that like I can be the best person and the best mother for my children I need to say no to my husband even 
or set boundaries with him around like what I can and cannot give because it's not sustainable just throwing yep. yourself solely into motherhood and not being able to look at yourself as an individual yeah do that is that what they call the mother martyr it's yeah. like you self-sacrifice so much it's like you don't yeah. even know who you are anymore and yeah where to from now you know where to next yeah I just think yeah I, I a lot of people fall into that I think and particularly if you so desperately wanted to be a mom like you were saying earlier like you had all of those maternal instincts and feelings and that's what you wanted. So to then enter it and think, well, this is what I wanted, you know, yeah. like that can also be really confusing because particularly if you weren't able to understand or set those boundaries prior yeah. to then have to relearn or learn those things in motherhood, like that is really hard, Yeah, really hard. I really um, had to like, like get to points where I was really like desperate for something to change or really desperate for like something for me and really, really resentful Mm. that I was like, this isn't just going to come to me without me doing something actively to change it. And was that resentment towards your husband or anything else? I think mostly towards him just because like he could go outside the door and he was leaving to go to work. And I know you spoke about this in in your story as well. Like, you know, that, you know, well, like, you can go to work and you can speak to other people and you can do all this stuff, but I can't like, and, and then he was, you know, going to the gym every morning and I was like, I can't, I can't go to the gym every morning. When do I go? Like, and it was just, it came up about tiny petty things like the podcast Mm. and stuff like that, where I was like, you know, I was so desperate to see something for me and to feel something that was just mine. Um, And in those early days when you're breastfeeding, like it's so hard to be physically away from your baby um, yeah, well, you literally can't just get up and go. Yeah, so I was so, so resentful it, it, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally, I totally understand, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will too. Something I was reading earlier, actually, this was really interesting. I was um, looking at some perinatal mental health research, and there was this 2017 study. Um, it was a qualitative study, so it's got a lot of quotations from women and things that they had said in these interviews. And she said. Um, you know, sometimes my husband would be the only person I speak to for weeks. Mm -hmm. That was one of the, that really, I don't know, my brain highlighted that sentence because I just thought that is, I think that can sum up a lot of people's experiences when you become a mom and you you sort of fall into this hole and it it all becomes about baby and families and your role as a mother and a wife. And to the point where you don't speak to another human being besides your husband for weeks. Like that, it blows my mind now not being in it. But when you think back to being in it, like it totally is possible. It really is. And that sort of leads me into where I wanted to go next because, you know, we talk about having support for mums in like early postpartum and the fourth trimester and around birth and everything. And that seems to be a really, really, really big topic. Um, But it's like, you know a few weeks pass and then there's no one yeah and that's really common for people um so how are you sort of mentioned that you weren't really diagnosed with anything but aside from I guess the resentment and things like that how was your mental health and why are you so passionate about mental health and motherhood um so 
my mental health, like I, I mentioned, um, I think previously before we started recording, I've never been diagnosed with anything. I don't have any history of mental health myself. I have a really strong family history of mental health. So, um, you know, lots and lots of anxiety in my immediate family, both my parents, my brother. Um, so I've always been like really conscious about, um, you know, like monitoring my own mental health. So the main themes around mental health for me were just that like resentment and that um, identity loss um, and those kind of themes. I guess why I'm so passionate about mental health came from me starting what was the very beginnings of the Nurtured Village Hampers. Um, So I guess what made me start it was... um, after my daughter was born, you know, these, um, what I can now identify was like more subtler themes compared to Mm. like what I now know, um, is, you know, much more intense having two children going through that period. But, um, I realized that, you know, we don't need like baby showers and onesies and bibs. And like, I, can't even count how many times I've gone to a baby shower as like a 20 year old and just you know bought them like a rattle or one of my friends got like a wood carved like plane model thing and you know Mm -hmm. all of these all of these gifts and I and I just really realized that you don't need all of those things what you need is food and each other and physical support and emotional support and friends checking in on you and um when I was like day three postpartum with my daughter, a mum from my husband's gym, um, sent him a text message saying, I'm just dropping off some food onto your doorstep. Um, I'm just going to knock when it's there, but I'm going to leave straight away. So you don't need to come to me. And at that time we were both asleep, um, in the middle of the day and we opened the door and there was this bag this big hamper of things in there and I'd never met this woman before in my life I just thought wow she's an incredibly generous woman from your gym um and we opened it up and there was like the most beautiful food like salads fresh meats like um bliss balls and all this healthy beautiful nutritious food with like a bottle of wine a bottle of sparkling water and um it was, I was just like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, thank you so much. And I was just so grateful. I, tears welled up in my eyes because I was just like, this is the most phenomenal thing that anyone has ever gifted me. Like, and she didn't even know me. Mm. And, um, I was like, one day I'm going to do this for somebody else. And so my daughter was six months old And I was like, I'm going to do that for somebody. So I created this private Facebook group. And at the time I called it Brisbane Parents Village. And um, I said, I announced to the group, I think I invited like 20 or so of my parenting sort of friends that I knew in Brisbane. And I was like, guys, nominate someone that you know that really needs me delivering them a meal because I'm going to knock on their door and I'm going to gift them the same thing it was just my pay it forward I was like she spent all this time and money preparing this for us I'm going to pay it forward and do it for somebody else and um they nominated a a woman I didn't know whose five-year-old daughter had just been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and I created this thing for them and um I like cooked all these meals for them and everything and made this roast and did all, all this stuff all the wine all this stuff and then some people in the Brisbane parents village donated some things as well so I actually turned up there with a car boot load full of stuff 
on my very first hamper. Amazing. And wow. um, my daughter was six months old at the time and I was like, wow, that was so amazing. Like I am going to do that again next month. And if it doesn't, <laughs> if that doesn't work out, then it is what it is and it's been wonderful, you know. So I was like, okay, guys, next month I'm going to do exactly the same thing. Like who else is on board? Nominate somebody and I'm going to give it to them. And I did. And I just kept going and going and going. And then some people, I was sharing what I was doing on social media. At the same time, I said to my husband, I'm going to create a social media account for parenthood. And he just cringed. He was like, no, you will get slaughtered. He's like, do not do that. Like there is so many social media accounts out there for like motherhood and parenthood. Like he was just like, do not. And I think I just did it anyway. And so at the same time, I was kind of sharing what I was doing on social media. And I can't remember at what point the very first person came on board, but eventually a couple of people were like, I want to do what you're doing in my town. And I was like, wow, like that's amazing. Like that is the biggest compliment you could give me is that you want to do that, this as well. So suddenly little villages started popping up and I just kept sharing and the same thing people just kept jumping on board and yeah the nurtured village came and it just it just did its own thing and it was amazing and we did that for two years and it was just the most precious thing ever I hope you realize the impact you have probably had on these strangers (laughs) these new parents I mean like you had felt from a, a total stranger, mm-hmm. you're now offering that in car bootloads full of stuff, not just, you know, one little hamper or maybe one time. Yeah. Like that, I really do think that we underestimate how powerful these gestures can be. So I hope you acknowledge like how amazing that is, that you could continue doing that for so long. Yeah. I mean, phenomenal. Yeah, I think... um you know, I really haven't had time to sit back and reflect on it too much, but mm. I know that the woman who gifted me the very first hamper in the first instance, I know what that felt for me and how much that felt to have a village behind me that I, who I didn't even know and who didn't even know me, but she still wanted us to be okay and feel supported. And that's why I'm so passionate about what the Nurtured Village can do because I know that it doesn't have to be a totally life-changing thing that needs to happen to somebody. It's just those little moments of connection and those little moments of support, whether it's from people you know or not. Um, Mm. It's that social connectedness that we all really need and seeing ourselves in someone else um, that I think is the real gift that will change what we have to go through. Mm. And I think I mentioned it in my intro. Yeah, risk factors of antenatal postnatal depression is social isolation loneliness and social support yeah but in actual fact what can minimize risk or help slash support is this idea of peer support and i guess in a sense a village having a village for a mom yeah and yeah we we deeply underestimate how important peer support is for parents and I, I wouldn't even say new parents I would say just parenthood motherhood yeah. the whole lot we like we now, need hey. it the whole way through yeah. I, yeah absolutely I find it really hard to get that message across though when someone's sort of on the other side and they don't really know I mean you said it yourself like you had this idea of how motherhood would be and 
I had all of the same things. And so it's not until you sort of go through these things that you really do understand, but it's like, how do you, how do you tell them, Hey, you need this, you know, you don't need the baby shower. You need this instead, you know, whether it be a mother's circle or a mummy shower or whatever, I don't know, but Yeah. yeah, I'm totally over the baby focused culture we so have. And even in your experience of having a colicky baby, it was still so baby focused and not really much for mum. And I just, I, I resist that so much now, but I welcomed it. Uh, Well, I never actually had a baby shower, but I, I welcomed all of that stuff anyway. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, how do you tell new parents that that's not what they need? Yeah. Well, this (laughs) message around like when we have a baby and, and they say a baby is born, but this messaging around, like we need to say, and a mother is born. Mm-hmm. you know it's like it's so powerful. and every time yes absolutely Caitlin and I speak mm. that all the time it's like a whole new matrescence journey and a whole new postpartum mm-hmm. and yeah matrescence yeah if only we all knew about that yeah 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 preach so I wanted to ask a little bit more about this charity so you weren't a charity with what you were just talking about then Mm -hmm. with the two years worth of work that you did, but you decided, okay, I'm going to make this official. How has that journey been? So initially I, here I am just having a really lovely conversation with my accountant and I kind of, it got to the point where businesses started jumping on board. Um, So it was no longer Mm. about, you know, Kayla down the street and Michael up the road who were donating a meal anymore it was businesses who were saying can we make a small cash donation to this or can we donate some product to this and my accountant was kind of like Emma you can't really just be doing that and she's like you need to register that as a charity and at this point it felt we were in it so deep. We had 13 or so communities around Australia, along the east coast of Australia, um, and I'd been doing it for two years and it was such a big part of, like, I was, I'm was. i so passionate about motherhood. So it was just such a big part of, like, putting that passion into something and trying to make change. Um, and I just couldn't imagine knowing what I know now about motherhood and about matrescence and about maternal mental health and and just not doing anything. Um, so that to me was like, how am I going to do this? Um, I spent a little while, and I can't remember the exact time frame, but I spent a little while trying to work out how I was going to do it. I'd spoken with lawyers and I'd gotten quotes and, you know, it was it was things along the lines of like $20,000 in legal fees and, and stuff like this. And my husband and I had been speaking about like, what does that mean? And can we afford to support this registration and, you know, all of this stuff and um, I remember one day I called up Caitlin and I was like, it is, it is no more. Like it's, we're going to shut it down. This can't happen. It's just, we can't keep going. Um, I'd spoken with like insurance brokerage companies about like insuring the volunteers and the organization and you know, home cooked meals mm. was a huge risk to the organization, mm. um, and not being in commercial kitchens. And I was like, this is just a huge ordeal. Like we, I can't do it as an individual anymore and it it is no more. And then a woman I know who had registered a charity reached out to me and she said, Spark Helmore lawyers have an incredible pro bono program. So I was like, this is my last effort. And if this doesn't come through, that's it. So I emailed Spark Helmore lawyers and I was like, this is what I'm doing. 
I need like a pro bono program to register this organization as a charity and they emailed me the next day and they said congratulations you're on the pro pro bono program we're going to be registering this organization as a charity and I was just like oh my gosh I have goosebumps (laughs) so I'm like I don't think I've really realized the scale of what that email means for me and my life now um Mm. trying to work out how to run an organization and a successful charity um but I'm so grateful to Spark Hellmore Lawyers for for red for accepting us on their pro bono program and the charity registration took a year um so it took us a year to register an organization as a charity you need to have like all of this evidence and especially um health promotion charities all of this like health evidence from the world health organization and um you know mm. really recognize bodies that say that this kind of charity for australia is necessary and why it is necessary and lots of things about perinatal mental health so yeah wow mm. i um and what a momentous day that day that you were registered yeah how did that feel um it's so it's so much like parenthood isn't it because I was like (laughs) I'm a registered charity and just nobody cared and I was like (laughs) I founded a charity and just yeah and everyone was just crying with snot pouring out their nose and I was just like why is nobody caring about this (laughs) I remember even the day, so my husband was obviously like, congratulations, like, you know, but I'm like, I don't think everybody realizes the scale of what this means. Yeah. And then there was a day and I was like, we need to take photos because I'm going to promote this on social media. So I bought heaps of confetti and I was like, we're going to go outside. I'm like, everybody put a shirt on, please. We're going outside and we're going to take these photos because I need to promote this on social media. And everyone was, it was just like chaos. Like everyone was crying. My husband was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then it was just like, stop taking the photos then. And we're all just arguing and like, Aww. and then I'm like, post on social media and everyone's just like, I hope you realize how much this means. I was like, no one, no one. I haven't had a moment. <laughs> I haven't had a moment. Because this is something that, well, first of all, it's non-for-profit. And second of all, there's no selfish incentive here. Like this is all purely from your heart going out into the world to just do better by families. I know that there would be people out there that hear about this and want to support. So, And I also know that a charity in its infancy relies on individuals and people contributing. So what does the charity need right now? How can people get involved? Um, So we're like... You know, like you mentioned, we're really in that that really foundational conception phase of what the charity needs. Um, we really just need social awareness. We need people telling each other about us. Um, we need businesses telling others. We need connectedness with your know, mental health organisations. And we need three of me. <laughs> Um, Mm. we really just need those strong foundations as an organization, but also, um, and where I find I spend so much of my time, but I do need to rein it back in is I'm really passionate about creating those really strong foundations for the locations, like in their towns and cities. So the, the individual communities, um, and Mm. I feel like that's where our real change can happen is if those communities can make real connectedness with, you know, whether it's like 
their um, local government or their local council or um, Mm. businesses or organisations or mothers groups or whatever it is within that community so we can really tie women back into that community um, and make them aware of what support is there for them and what events are there for them and and what connects them with each other. Um, Mm. We really need those strong foundations in those communities as well and obviously we need financial support because running a charity um, comes at a huge cost. Unfortunately, we have all the same costs as a business and more. Our insurance is absolutely through the roof. Um, so anything about like donating, volunteering, anything like that is all on the website. Um, you can donate uh, either to the individual communities if you're really passionate about a certain area or you live or come from a certain area. Um, all of the communities are there on the website, but you can donate straight to the organisation as well, which absolutely goes to funding all of those really important insurances and registrations and stuff that allow us to even be here in the first place. Mm. Yeah. So I, I have two more, I have two questions that I want to ask and I'm not sure which order to do it. So I'm just going to say <laughs> on this note, how the heck are you doing all of this mm. working four days in a different job? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's mayhem. I am doing all of it. I'm doing nothing well. Um, I'm often in one place doing the other. I'm often at work sending charity emails. Um, Mm. I take my laptop to work and in my lunch break, I do emails on, on about the charity on my laptop. Um, it's a lot running a podcast is a lot, Mm. um, a lot, a lot. And I do feel like the podcast needs to just sit for a while and just be what it is um I also need to manage my own mental health and my own you know overwhelm and my own expectations and for me there isn't enough time in the day to learn all the things that I want to learn have all the conversations I want to learn I want to have you know and and you know find out all this knowledge I'm I'm just so I'm always so curious when people are talking because I want to learn but I also need to learn that to be able to continue to do this and to be able to do it for a long time, I need to also prioritize like rest and stillness and yeah. nervous system downregulation and all of these things that are going to make me be able to see this through. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely in and of itself a big task. Yeah. And something that, I think just takes practice. Yeah. Right? Like it's hard to prioritize yourself when you feel like you're suffocating with the amount of the load on top of you. Yeah. I um I definitely take my hat off to you, Emma. Like you're doing such important work, but it definitely shouldn't be at the cost of, you know, your health either. Yeah. So I hope I hope that you do prioritize yourself and I know that the charity and all of the people involved and the people who want to get involved, like they would understand definitely, mm. but um, it, yeah, it's definitely hard to do. I also have I 15 volunteers who are just angels because they themselves mm. are overworked mothers who are managing yeah. tiny little humans with very little support. They don't have villages themselves. They don't have that much money. Most of them, you know, they have their own issues and and health and all of these things that surround us as individuals and they're also very unselfishly going out of their way to run these communities and and do all this um so in the background which is 
just amazing. So, you know, it's also um, we wouldn't be here without the volunteers. The organisation could not exist and do what it does mm. without the volunteers. So I'm so grateful for them. And if people are listening who are really interested in volunteering, you can um, find out more information about that on the website as well. Um, but volunteers are incredible humans. Yeah. It's funny how I've had this conversation a few times because just an observation of mine when I became a mother was that anything sort of in and out of the home that was unwork related, mums were behind it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like mums were taking care of the new mums and mums were running other kids to whatever's and yeah, like yeah. mums were sort of mums were the village. having this extra load. Yeah, they were the village, but it's like mums are the ones that need the village, but other mums are the village. Like I'm just I find that really bizarre almost. Yeah. Because like, yep, that is the world that we live in, unfortunately. But again, I think it just comes down to you don't really understand until you've been through it. And so that's yeah. the motivation behind a lot of these people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad though, isn't it? Yeah. What are some of the ways the Nurture Village Hampers have helped families? So, or some of the families and situations that you have helped just to give people an idea? So many. Like initially, obviously I set out to gift this to a newborn family like a mum who had just was in her fourth trimester and my very first hamper was as I mentioned to a family whose daughter had been diagnosed with diabetes so it very quickly became without me even being conscious of it about all families which I think is so appropriate now because we know that postpartum is forever and we know that that motherhood struggle doesn't just like finish at 12 months you know so um yeah I feel really proud of how it instantly became about all mothers and about you know advocating for their mental health um some of the families that we've reached uh, a few that really stick out to me um we have a couple at the moment with super tragic stories um we have a mum who's just escaped domestic violence from her domestic violence situation with her husband and her and her four children um are living in somebody else's house at the moment and we're getting her kettles and toasters and beds and mattresses and um I contacted Adairs in the in the city that they live in and they're going to donate pillows and um crockery and cutlery and a fridge and you know all this kind of stuff as well as some meals and school snacks and things like that um I'll never forget a mum I donated a hamper to who was just diagnosed with breast cancer and she was 30 weeks pregnant with her third child Um, and her breast cancer nurse actually nominated her and said that she would receive small doses of chemotherapy while she was pregnant and then as soon as they delivered the baby who would come a bit early um, she would get super high intense doses of chemotherapy for a short period of time through her fourth trimester and I thought imagine navigating your third baby amongst all of that Um, and also going through chemotherapy and stuff as well Um, we had a family on the Gold Coast who was uh, foster parents um, and they had just fostered their ninth and tenth baby and they were twins. Um, So they had 10 foster children total, like two-month-old twins. um, And we actually collected a huge hamper for them, which included tins and tins of formula and tons of nappies and, you know, meals for them and, you know, it felt really great to give back to people who were giving so much. 
Um, And then, of course, there's always, you know, the newborn mum or um, the mum with a medical diagnosis. There's a family in the Gold Coast at the moment whose two-year-old son has been diagnosed with a really rare form of brain cancer. Um, And so he undergoes radiation therapy every day under general anaesthetic in Brisbane. So every single day he has a general anaesthetic, has his radiation therapy and comes out of his general and he does that for six weeks. Um, And there are the three children and the dad are in based in the Gold Coast, just keeping the family house afloat and, you know, managing what that looks like while mum's in Brisbane with, with their baby. So yeah, I, um, the stories never get any easier and Mm. that becomes a part of, you know, what we need to manage, um, as facilitators and coordinators of the hampers as well is, you know, um, seeing people and, and seeing their struggle and disconnecting ourselves from it as well because you can't take on everybody's story as your own. Um, mm. We've also been doing like some mental health first aid training as well, which I think is really important for you know us as directors of the organisation but for the, um, the coordinators as well because unfortunately we found ourselves in this position where we're meeting families really, really in their hardest days um, and exposing ourselves to stories that just break your heart and mm. we need to protect our own hearts in the meantime. Yeah, definitely. Mm. What do you want a struggling mother to know right now? Right now I wanted to know that she isn't alone. Um, I want her to know that her struggle is being felt by mothers everywhere, right around the globe, and it isn't her fault. And I want her to know that there is help available if or when she needs it by so many people in so many different ways. And it might Mm. not happen straight away. Um, And it might not be the first person that you talk to or the first medication you try or the first GP you see, but keep going back because so many people care about you and about your mental health and about you being well. And it might feel like your priority number 20 right now but you are the glue that sticks everyone together. Mm, I love that. Powerful words. <laughs> Powerful. Well, thank you, Emma. I have loved chatting to you and catching up and seeing where you're at with all of this. And yes. I've loved watching you from afar. And, you know, I obviously I hope to be able to do what I can for the Nurtured Village Hampers, but you're doing incredible work. And at the same time, I hope you continue to take care of yourself. Thank you so much, Amberly. I really, you've always cheered me on from the sidelines and I can't tell you enough how critical people like you are who do drop into your inbox every now and then and, you know, cheer you on from the sidelines because sometimes it does feel really isolating. Um, and mm. to have that is just, it's the fuel that you need to keep going and to keep pushing and and you know, it makes a huge difference in a little organization that's making a big impact. So, um, yeah, I can't thank you enough for, for that. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at the power of birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.